Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. We will get to the episode, I promise. But this is exciting news I have to share it with you. The podcast is going visual. We are on YouTube. So if you enjoy watching podcasts, make sure you go to Moving the Needle Podcast on YouTube. So search it on your YouTube. You'll find it. Hit that subscribe button and then watch some of the clips if you don't mind. Maybe leave some comment. Let's get some engagement because the more we get the YouTube out there, the more I can get awesome guests. And that's probably the biggest thank you you can do for me right now. Let's build up that YouTube. So share it with some friends. Check those clips. Leave us some comments. And I appreciate that, man. Let's get to the episode. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Welcome back sports fans. This is moving the needle podcast. Another episode coming your way, but you're not here for me to blabber on. Man, I got royalty in the house. I got a hype man. I'm I'm honestly so stoked that he was keen to come on. We've been going back and forth on getting a date, but it is a world champion of freeride mountain biking, the winniest F&B rider to date. First to win the triple count of Slopestyle, I was there. Nikolai Rogatkin, the hype man, dude. I'm, uh, I've am i been pumped for a lot of, of guests, but I know we're going to go around here and, and get each other psyched. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the, the hype intro. Love that. And uh, stoked to be on with you, bro. 
Dude, I don't know if I can do you justice, man. Like, I can wear a few hats out there in the commentary. I can do the serious analysis. I like to feel like I can toss the joke in there. But you're just a natural hype man. Like, people just, they see you're natural in the commentary. You're natural at the bottom getting the boys hyped for a bigger show. Um, where on earth does that come from? Man, I don't know. Um, I think I just have, like, as you've been saying, just like that natural hype factor um always and like luckily for me uh since i started competing especially since coming into mountain biking i feel like i've been blessed with a lot of camera time you know like whether it's an interview whether it's like a little clip for a company just like a lot of time on camera um which has obviously made me feel more comfortable on camera. Whereas some people like some riders get up there and they kind of feel awkward up there. Whereas I just like, like I said, been so blessed with that, like camera time that I feel like I'm comfortable. And then when you combine that with like how hyped I just like actually feel, um, it just makes me, uh, makes me look like I'm loving it out there, which I always am, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some people said that to me, Oh, you're, you're natural. Like you're born for this. And I was like, I don't know. I think it's like you said, depending on how you grew up in the industry and I got, there was like a lot of video updates going on. It was like before social media, but all the teams had like these highlight videos to do off the races, but you and your age, like, I guess you had TV and BMX and then the social media thing. And I guess it's just infectious, right? Like people like hanging out with people in a good mood naturally, you know, like a camera call as well. Like, how can you not have a good time around him and you as well? I think it's infectious when an interview gets there. Like they kind of know they're going to get something good from you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, those moments like riding or in the booth or doing the field reporting like I've been doing for Crankworx sometimes like as a, as a guy who's just like rode so many events and so many competitions like I experienced it this year because I got to do more of it while I was uh, injured. Um, and, like, you just have that natural feeling from your body when the event gets going, you know, those, like, almost, like, nerves that get flowing, that, like, excitement, that, like, nervous excitement that you, like, don't know what's about to happen, but you know it's probably going to be kind of crazy in some way, you know. It's just, like, uh, I, I bet you have that same feeling now at – at races and stuff now you agree with that 100 percent. and i enjoy being on this side you're obviously still competing but you were forced to maybe see what the future might look like 100 percent. when they the call time is 30 seconds to go i'm i'm pretty jittery and 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 it's really nerve-wracking kind of like a race or <laughs> you know dropping into slope style and then you've got to calm yourself down and like you're here for a reason and then as soon as we go live it just it just clicks it just somehow clicks like the nerves just dissipate and Hopefully I don't blabber too much and provide some sort of value. <laughs> and I guess it's like not crashing on the first trick or in the first turn. Like, you know, you get used to being uncomfortable and yeah, I hear you loud and clear with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're kind of hitting it spot on on how it's still like you feel like you have to perform, um, but it's, it's different, you know, you feel because like riding, I feel like there's, an understanding for for messing up and making a mistake you know when you risk it all you crash and make a huge mistake but like that was like always possible you know whereas 
on the media side of things, I feel like any sort of mistakes that are made um, are kind of unacceptable in any way, you know? So I feel like it's a different pressure, isn't it? Yeah, so we were talking about being in the moment, being live and, and the pressures and stuff, and we just had a technical glitch. Hey, we've got to get right, <laughs> right back at it. But, dude, Nikolai, um, I feel like you burst on the scene pretty quick in mountain biking, and, and you seem to be, like, really very well-received. Uh, even though you were, you know, pushing the limits from early on and doing a lot of world's firsts. What, like, what brought you to mountain biking from being a BMX for so long and, and being a professional at a young age? So the the story for me starting mountain biking is uh, kind of like worked out so well for me. I don't really know where to start it because um, – when I was 13 years old, I started riding a lot of masses of dirt shows out in Europe. At 13? Um, which was an insane opportunity. Yeah, at 13. That was like a crazy world to be thrown into, that world of everyone sending their gnarliest tricks every night, then hardcore partying. I was, you know, I was getting snuck into these, uh, these European clubs and stuff at such a young age. I was like, I, I think I like, back then I couldn't believe what was happening. So the reason I'm talking about that, though, is because in those shows, there were like some absolutely legendary slope style riders, you know, guys like Martin Soderstrom, guys like Yannick Grenieri, um, Sam Reynolds, of course. Um, who am I forgetting right now? Andre Lacondagy was like heavy on on at that time. It was like a, a heavy, very skilled group of slope style riders, you know, and my riding in BMX was, I, you know, I started out in the skate parks, of course, but then it was transitioning very much into dirt jumping because of masses of dirt. I was riding these big jumps. I was like very motivated by learning big tricks and doing big tricks. So I feel like my riding in BMX graduated, like it, it escalated more towards like a big dirt jump rider versus like a park rider, you know? Um, and then slope style at the time, um, obviously I was watching all those guys compete, the guys that I was uh, riding these shows with and slope style seemed unbelievable. And, um, it just seemed very kind of interesting to try to transfer the skills over because some of the skills seem pretty similar, at least trick wise. Um, and I had Highland mountain bike park pretty close to me, which had a full on slope course, full like gold event. Um, course. So Martin Soderstrom was super helpful to me. Um, he hit up specialized, uh, specialized team manager, Jeff Rogers at the time. They got me hooked up with a, a P3 hardtail bike. And then I just started trying to learn all my BMX tricks on it and trick wise, it went fine. But then the features like, uh, the new flat drops, new cannon logs, new step downs, all that new, these new features, which I had never, seen or heard of like that was a very hard learning experience to um to you know get the tricks going not only on the bigger bike but on those like bigger features and these like bad conditions competing you know windy and all that stuff um but i feel like the first competitions for me in slope style went um went really well but you're saying I was well received, bro. They hated the no visor. Well, everyone <laughs> hated it. <laughs> no, you as a person were well received. 
I don't know <laughs> if I received the no visor very well either. It was super odd at the beginning. And hey, it, it's it's in my notes. You got to ask me about the no visor. Like I'm telling people you're coming on. What's with the no visor? I was like, well, part of me is like, you don't seem to give a shit what people think about you in a good way. And and that's like your your style, your pads, maybe that ice hockey background with big pads and all the shit. But what was the no visor? Is that to help with vision and, and spotting certain tricks? So there's a lot of reasons for the no visor, actually. Um, but the main one is that like my my legends, my inspirations when I grew up younger was like Dave Mira and Jamie Bestwick. Like Dave Mira was obviously the GOAT. Um, all those video parts, I remember watching like Miracle Boy and Nyquist. Um, that video was like very inspirational for me as a young kid. And like Mira had no visor. And then um, I would do a lot of riding at Woodward Camp. Um, my father and I spent a lot of time every summer at Woodward Camp. And Jamie Bestwick was there, winning every X Games, winning every do tour, just like a god up there on the vert ramp. And he also had no visor. And then I would go um, in the skate park. I had a full face on because I was a few times smacking my face off the wood and off the concrete and uh, finally was convinced to, to put the full face on. But when I would try things in the foam pit, like if I was trying gnarly tricks in the foam pit and then smashing the head down like the visor breaks off anyway so i was like my visor breaks off anyway the legends of the sport are not wearing one like i'm not wearing one you know and that's that's just how it became for me for years just riding no visor full send inspired by these visorless guys so when i came into slope style i didn't think it was going to be an issue because because like if if those legends don't wear a visor then how can any how can anyone talk talk any shit about visors you know <laughs> like so um so yeah and and i feel like what you said also about like the spotting i i came in doing like a lot of uh, rotational tricks you know um and the visor would get in the way especially with front flips i was doing a lot of front flips and like my front my i would just like you just go head first into the front wheel and then the visor moves or breaks off so dude there's there's a, a big list of reasons why the no visor thing has been my thing but uh but i've just stuck with it bro but that that is so funny because like the negative is like people feel you look like a kook but literally <laughs> dave sure. mirror jamie Beswick, like i never even was like wow they look like kooks <laughs> like i didn't think but in the mountain <laughs> bike we try to be so cool you know like come from like we brought some of the motocross stuff over and like in down all hope you did you know let's get rid of the lycra let's make sure like sign yeah. a petition let's keep the peak on and it's just to try and be cool for the brand right but you literally named so i mean if i was crashing and ripping peaks off i'd probably just be like i i, I don't have 20 spare peaks per weekend like what's the point <laughs> so what what were the guys saying like they're probably like just I guess like friendly banter about the visor or just like, dude, you need to put a visor on. You're making us all look bad. Like what was the, the chat amongst the guys? Um, I mean, amongst the guys, uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like directly, I feel like it wasn't like targeted bullying at the visor or anything like that. Um, over, I mean, overall, uh, the style from head to toe was like 
outrageously bad. <laughs> like I was wearing big, big hockey pads. I still wear a lot of padding now, but the that was different level back then. It was like some big hockey shin pads, big like pants, like huge chesties. I don't know. I was just absolutely padded up. And then to add on top of it, um, just this no visor helmet. So I was just getting by, by the guy, the guys were just like flaming me for the, uh, the style, you know, like, cause I, I clearly just did not care about the style. I didn't understand, um, any, like anything about looking cool on the bike. And also like the riding was so trick focused. So I don't know, having that, like having that banter, um, about the style, about the visor, about the riding, all of that, obviously, uh, has helped in improvements a little bit over the years in that sense. But, um, but yeah, I feel, I feel like it wasn't, it, it was like just, uh, just those healthy bands of like, bro, can't be looking like this out here on course. <laughs> did, it, did it fuel any of your fire a little bit? Like if you could win a comp or stomp a trick and be like, yeah, dude, well take, take your no visor there. Like I just smoked, like did any of it make you want to beat them more when they give you a bit of shit? Uh, no, I feel, I feel like I was always so thankful for the opportunities to ride these big competitions, you know, because, uh, especially coming into the mountain mountain bike world, it was like, I had was, I'd barely graduated high school. I didn't really know where my life was going. I felt like I was kind of changing sports. So I was like, I don't know what's going to happen here. So I feel like with the, the slope style competitions that like increased in, level and then increased in significance and then eventually coming to stuff like district ride and joy ride like i was kind of i was not i was kind of less fueled up um by like anger of people and and everyone talking some smack i was more like holy shit this is an incredible opportunity to be here like i'm here and i gotta try to put on a show like i don't know if i got what it takes but i'm gonna like put what i have out there on the line so i feel like people People kind of respected that aspect that I was always kind of putting it out there on the line, whether it was a maybe not in, in complete riding, it was still like just trying to put my best show that I could possibly put on out there, crash or not. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I think you'll always be known for that, like go big or go home, and and, and always putting on mm -hmm. a on a show from the beginning. So what 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 stage did you maybe feel that you could make a career of it? Like, do you ever look back at that or do you remember a time when you're like, shit, I can probably make a career of this? Um, I remember the first time I was at um, Joyride in Whistler um, and I got an invite to ride Best Trick. And um, I did decently in the Best Trick. I got on the podium. I, I landed a big lawn dart front flip. I bunch of attempts at a cash roll, barely rolled out of one in the end. Um, but then like the next day was the actual slope comp. Um, and I just remember being so incredibly inspired there, um, on that day, like watching that comp, like seeing what was possible. I was like, I was just writing yesterday in this best trick, but like this, this would be like unbelievable to ride in. And then, um, the next year, is what I'm saying. I got uh, um, some invites to ride in like Crankworks, uh, Les Des Alpes, um, 
and I forget what uh what other like big comps those were, but I feel like then, in those moments, I was like, oh oh shit, like I can make it here and then go to Joyride from here because of this, and then I'm on the whole tour and I'm basically out here fighting for a world championship. So I, I feel like in in those moments it was, I I don't know I can't I can't identify like one moment you know because I was just. Like I said, I was so thankful and so inspired for these opportunities that I was kind of like, let's just keep this rolling. Let's keep this moving. Let's see what we can do. Um, and then eventually, like, wins started coming, and that was really crazy. So, uh, so yeah, man. It's, it's, it's pretty trippy, eh? Like, if you're forced to look back, there maybe isn't the pivotal moment, or it's not just one moment. It's like the, you just keep looking ahead, like, oh, I can do best trick, which is maybe I can get an invite. Then you get an invite and you, I think you subconsciously just start increasing your goals or maybe a podium yeah. and then you like suddenly win one or maybe a championship. And then before you know it, you've got the contract or the three-year deal. You're a professional mountain bike, free ride mountain bike at that, you know, which is pretty niche, niche sort of sport. And, and there's not a lot of people that can make it good enough in, in free ride and slope style, really. You know, it's quite a, I don't know, it's a fickle sport. It's sort of, chews you up pretty quick and spits you out hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely very, very harsh. And I feel like it's about the timing. Like, you have to perform very well in, like, the right moments. Like, there's these moments that get presented to you, and it's, like, these make-or-break moments of, like, whether it's a course that favors you that you need to make it happen on or, like, a certain event where you need to get a certain result to make it to the next level, I feel like in mountain biking especially like that timing like when you're able to make things happen that can like go a long way in certain moments you agree with that yeah i'm literally thinking of the eminem song like do you play that before these big moments <laughs> <laughs> dude it's like it and it literally is that it's it can be make or break but obviously in the moment you can't think like that you you know and and you wouldn't yeah. have performed if you thought like that so what what do you rely on in those moments, those pressure cookers? Because you've brought that up, those big moments where it's your time to shine or the course suits you or you've got this trick in the bag that you can hopefully lay down that can get you a winning run. Um, are you, are you kind of asking like what, what is the most necessary thing for me in those big moments? Sure, man. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like let's get into just... the head of Nikolai like – in those moments or, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm heavily fueled by the performances of the other competitors, um, which is why uh, a lot of times that you see me getting um, very hyped during these other riders runs uh, when I'm, when I'm competing against them. Cause I feel like in those competitions, like, everyone's against each other but everyone's like in it together you know um and i feel like it can be very isolating if you let it be isolating you know because you have no teammates um it's you know it's you against the course and you could do the sickest run and then the judges don't give you that good of a score you know what i mean so it's kind of like you are just against yourself you're going out there you're trying to put on the best performance that you could possibly put and hope that you get rewarded for that. And like I was saying, you, that can be very isolating if you get too much in your own head, too focused on 
um like exactly the the run the performance all of that like that can make you just feel like you're so alone there um whereas i feel like when you step like you step back and think about how like that moment that competition day like means so much to every single competitor out there that like when these guys drop in like when your homies drop in and like you're very invested in it um just like that level of hype and stoke for them is so high that like when you step up to the gate, like you don't feel isolated. You kind of feel like, let's go boys. Let's like, let's do this. Like, let's see that. I see you down there. I see you at the bottom, whatever it may be. You know, I feel like it, it helps not isolate you there. And that, that has always like helped me tremendously in being more motivated in the gate than being nervous and being like, oh, shit don't want to mess up here like kind of more like let's let's get this let's attack this and then let's kind of celebrate with with everyone it makes that start to finish experience much more rewarding in my opinion so that hype aspect for the other riders is is kind of very important to me bro dude i think that's a secret weapon i mean i've seen the (laughs) hype i see the videos and i see it when you're watching the guys in practice and and even in these big runs you you're authentically 100 percent. it's not fake just like so pumped for them and you can see the energy and it makes sense that like it probably helps with your adrenaline your positivity to like right fuck that was a sick run let me go let's get this like you say things like that let's get this you you know uh versus i mean emil is certainly tackling it a, a little bit differently and and Semenik too like I'm sure he's happy for everyone I'm not saying he's not but I don't think that was his strategy during the week and 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 during the day um I think he is probably more isolated um and maybe that's why it's so tough for some of these guys like Brett Reader and and Semenik to stay in the game so long um because it's probably all consuming you know yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to compete with some absolute legends like the ones that you're speaking about. Um, guys like ML, guys like Brandon, guys like Brett. Like, I feel like while I've been competing, when I kind of when I first came in, it was like Brandon was dominating. Then uh, Brett and I had some crazy battles over the years, and now, of course, it's the the world of ML, you know. And um, you are right that those those guys like are more in their own world but those guys are so determined for victory and for um for first place on the day like their determination is so respectable you know um and they're just like kind of uh their attitude is a bit different for me like i get hyped I get fired up by the other riders. That helps my performance. Them being like completely obsessed with their run that day, that win that day, that's what like allows them to do these runs that they're able to do, which is unbelievable. So like mountain biking and slope style, especially like everyone has that different fuel and you, you just have to find your fuel and use it the right way, you know? And we've seen so many different athletes do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it. Every athlete is different. You have to find exactly what works for you before a run, and and maybe um, afterwards how you maybe let loose, and whether that's going out with your buddies or not. Like, I totally think it's 
quite a head and art to figure out exactly what works for you. And you've clearly got that. To go up against that, you've almost gone toe-to-toe. Well, not almost. You've gone toe-to-toe with three generations of a different style of rider, right? Where, like, where are you at with, with those guys? Like, what is it like competing against someone like Emil? Um, competing against someone like ML is just, it's like shocking, you know, it's so shocking because like I was talking about earlier, it feels like when you arrive to the comp competition, it feels like usually it's a, it's a certain level of like, we're all in this together. Like you all struggle on a certain feature or, uh, like there's like a, a kind of a common ground. And then someone like Emil comes along. And just dominates. And I'm not talking about just dominates competition. I'm talking about like dominating the moment that they set foot on course. And um, like the guys we talked about earlier, uh, Reader and Seminuk, they had that same element, you know, like they show up to practice and they set a different tone, you know, like whether whether they're trying to or not, they're like setting the tone. They're like, this is how we're going to ride like, and we're going to ride to the best of our abilities. And it's just always so, so impressive to see not only like the skills, but like the attitude and the consistency and, um, and just like that continuous level of elite riding. You feel me? I I mean I fear you thank goodness I was spectating like the level of consistency and 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 just it was a little different at times and and you had like these huge tricks and the hype and like you know you'd get pumped for a run and then you would just sit and sort of calmly watch those runs and try like decipher what on earth just happened whether it's switch foot and you know things that even I'm there through the like I was almost at every crankworks till about a year ago and, and really passionate about the slope style. I knew a lot of you guys. So it was totally different. Um, and I must say, I mean, how do you not get kind of head, head fucked by it? When you're like, these guys are so clinical. Of course you want to, you're there to compete. So you want to do as good as you can. Like, how do you stay in your own lane versus getting like, you know, screw, you know, like having worries in your head about them? I think it, it has to be, um, an appreciation um, opposed to a jealousy. Okay. Um, because you, ha- you have to like appreciate those guys' skills because like you said, if you see some of those guys ride, like whether it's practice, whether it's the run, whether it's warm up, whatever, whether it's a clip that you see from an edit or on Instagram or something, like in order to prevent that like jealousy and that fear of like holy shit these guys are unbelievable i cannot keep up you almost have to like have that appreciation of being like damn like that is incredible the determination that goes into that riding the like the personal flair the the style like you have to have like the appreciation for that and same thing goes for the contest run like someone lays down an insane run like it's very easy to be like like i ain't beaten that today shit but if you're like if you're like kind of there 
fired up like, oh my God, like he went for it. He risked it all. He made it happen and he made it look easy. Like now it's my turn to like, see what I can do. And I feel like you, a lot of times you realize like you're in a, a more in racing. Um, whereas the, the trick slope style level is like, you, you got to just ride to the best of your ability and you're always going to be the most critical person of your own riding. You know, you never like, as soon as you like decide to decide how other people see your riding is when you kind of ride different. You just got to like ride the way you want to ride, ride the way you feel like you ride the best and then hope that like the judges and the fans and everyone out there is like stoked on that, you know? Yeah, you, know you said yeah, and you said something in such an interesting way um, to to not be jealous of it, and I think that's like the danger of comparison. And I think in all walks of life, with social media as well, it's like obviously a dangerous place to just always compare to other people instead of like walk your road, walk your journey, or ride your way, because those people when they see your cash rolls and your Landard front flip, I'm sure they are very impressed as well. More impressed than you are because you're just normal. It's like normal for you, right? It's like routine to do some of those tricks. But other people just can't do those tricks. Whereas you're saying maybe you don't ride a certain way. Uh, maybe you're not as fluid as some of these riders. That's just it's not your thing. But by like making sure you're sort of impressed by it, grateful that like that you've seen it, like that's such a cool way to to view it compared to, like you say, jealousy or like, well, I can't beat that. Well, how do you know? Like, how do you know the judges aren't going to score your crazy tricks higher, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, it's it's just the, the, the best way to, like, better your own performance and also be stoked on the others because, yeah, it's like I look at these riders that – can do crazy easy tricks both ways like the opposites come so easy to them whereas when i was younger i was spending like zero time on opposite stuff and like technical stuff but uh but i feel like instead of being like oh i'm so pissed that i can't do that it's like like man that is difficult that is highly skilled requirements like hats off to you bro so yeah oh dude you uh certainly humble uh on this podcast because you won a triple crown against these guys you've won <laughs> events against these guys so it, it's really amazing to hear you speak so highly of them when you've got world's first so many of them like i don't even understand half of what you do so uh thanks thanks man i think you're giving a lot of inspiration to other people to yeah man like be impressed by other people be stoked for other people you know like it really is a better way to go through life. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, there's there's one moment um, that I'll never forget, and I think this moment um, helped me kind of be the way that I am, especially in slope style. And it was this one year in Rotorua. Um, I was working on the twister. Uh, I had done it in practice. I was me planning to bring it out in the competition at Crankworks Rotorua. Um, 
remember in my first run, uh, cork 720 on the step down, blew up my tire, run over. So like that was the end of that was the end of run one. And luckily we get two runs, but I was like, damn, like I didn't even make it past the first feature, and I got to make it through this whole run before getting to this last feature to even try this twister, you know. So trying to stay very mentally composed. And I was one of like the first guys to drop, pretty much the first guy to drop in these second runs because they re-rack the scores, as you know, in Crankworks. So worst score from run one goes first in run two. I had blown out the tire on the first feature. So pretty sure I was sitting in last place. And I do the whole run, get to the end of the run, do the twister, under-rotate it blow out the tire, but ride it out and land it. And I remember the camera like went back up and all the riders were standing in front of this little screen, just jumping up and down, like celebrating me landing this twister. And I was like, I was like, we all got our runs coming up, you know, like they all have, like I'm saying, they all have these difficult runs coming up, but yet they're there in front of the screen taking the time to celebrate for me in that moment. And I was like, how incredible is this feeling that like, not only did I just land exactly what I wanted to land, but everyone that I'm competing against is celebrating for me. And I was like, if this is the vibe that we can have in this sport of slope style, like this will be the best moments in so many years to come. So I feel like that moment, I feel, I think it was in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, that moment really, uh, really did a lot for me. Just shout, shout out to all those boys in, in front of the screen. Yeah, man. I, uh, I remember that moment, man. I was there. That, uh, that certainly, um, yeah, dude, I'm like kind of a loss for words because I, I was there and I remember how, witnessing these these world's firsts were and and i think it just makes me feel like you guys are just you you're the only guys that can relate to each other so that's so cool that you guys are there for each other it's like you know i'm not akinning it to war or going to war but some people do you know <laughs> because only those few people that have been can relate to what it's like and, and the same as slopestyle i can't totally i can compare but i can't relate to a slopestyle run because i've never done one and I don't know what it's like to lay your life on the line and throw these crazy tricks, you know, but those riders can. So they know maybe like the pressure you're under, the work you've put in the off season to, to come to this point. You know, it's not just a one day of work. It's like a lifetime of work to be able to throw a trick like that. That's true. That's true. So speak speak about getting to the point of throwing these these tricks like what does the practice schedule look like like how much planning is there or like how do you come up with stuff like that man every trick has their own story and uh, i feel like these different moves also have their own paths like there's certain tricks where you kind of learn it and it's kind of easy and then you try it in a comp and then whoa holy shit you land it and then suddenly next comp it it's not there anymore and then you got to go like back to the drawing board and work out a different way like there's these these different tricks have these different stories and um 
I feel like before certain competition, we know what courses are coming up. We kind of know what bangers we want to do. And all the training is like structured towards that, towards dialing in what you're for sure going to do on competition day. And then also dialing in or trying to dial in what you might do. You know what I mean? If, if the perfect situation, the perfect jump comes along, then you might try this move. So there's like a, a few different elements to the training. And there's also, there's always like a bit of, of, uh, of just planning that goes on depending on what course is coming. And, and at home, I mean, you've got that, you've still got that crazy jump set up. Well, I mean, I've seen it a while ago in the videos yeah. and stuff like your compound and your training ground. Like what sort of time are you putting in there leading up to the events? Like, I don't think people see that and, and understand it as much. Yeah. I mean, I'm the compound here at home is a bit outdated at this point, but it has been used a lot over the years. Um, on one side of the house, it's a, it's a very BMX style setup. Um, so it's like a, a six foot box jump with a nine foot resi landing that goes into a quarter pipe to resi. And it also connects with the bull corner that goes with this big mini ramp thing. Um, and it was a very BMX based setup. Cause when I was practicing uh, in BMX for potentially competing in stuff like do tour park and, and fees those types of competitions. Um, I was using that setup a lot. And then also coming into the mountain bike world, I was riding my hardtail a lot in that zone. And then um, my dad and I built this crazy off of the house setup on the other side of the house where it's basically off the roof and the side of the house. There's this big 40 foot tall rolling into these two kickers onto an airbag. And then next to it is as tall as the Roland, so 40 foot tall tower with a big flat drop. And then like you can crank the flat drop back. Um, and there it, it like uh, unveils like this step down also onto the airbag. Um, and uh, I'm actually gonna be rebuilding it over the course of um, the fall, the winter and next year. Um, but it's it was used so much over the years. Um, for preparing for slope style competitions. There's like one, there's one thing to have like a trick ready on a perfect jump, but then there's another thing to have these tricks ready for these big flat drops, big step downs and big like super kickers. So um, like I'm saying with the, talking about the training, like just dialing in all the tricks that you are going to do in the competitions and that you might do and hope to do. And that requires a lot of, uh, a lot of airbag time, a lot of soft landing time. And um, sometimes those sessions aren't that pleasant, you know, like airbag makes things pretty safe for the most part, but you still get whipped around hardcore in those sessions. So uh, it's heavy. Yeah. And it's all repetition for you, like muscle memory repetition. Like you're just doing up to hundreds of these tricks, like in a session, you know, over like two, three days, like what does it look like? Are you like pretty militant about it? Like I got to get three hours in today or do you go or feel like what makes you tick in these sort of practice sessions? What gets me, what gets me fired up is those full power tricks. I feel like there's, um, 
different tricks that you can do which require more repetition you know like your backflip double bar spins backflip triple bar spins back people are doing four bar spins in backflip pretty easily now um all those bar spin tail whip combos they require a lot of repetition because it's a lot of muscle memory as you said a lot of just perfect timing um feet off hands off just like figuring out that timing um that requires a lot of just keep doing it you know doing it adding an extra bar spin adding an extra tail whip getting comfortable enough in the rotation to add these extra things like that does take um a lot of repetition um which I spend a bit of time on, but I'm, like I said, way more motivated by like those full power tricks, like 1440s, double front flips, um, twister variation, uh, double backflip variation, um, moves like that where you're in the gate, you're like, you're breathing deep, you're collecting everything, your, your thoughts, your power, and just putting it all into these tricks. Um, because there, I feel like every single time you drop into one of those, it's there's this nervous feeling of it going horribly wrong. So that when your tires touch the ground and you're riding away from it, it's like this crazy hype feeling, but like relief feeling that you didn't just get fucked up from that move. Like the the whole process of those tricks gets me very motivated and very excited, which is why I think that's um, the moves that I like push for the hardest. You think it's like a bit of an addiction, the, the, the feeling, chasing it and dealing with like all those fears? I think definitely because continuously like being willing and not just willing, but being like fired up to take those risks requires like a bit of addiction because of uh, like those previous feelings, you know, like because there's a, there's, it's unpleasant, you know, it's, it's super scary, the the feeling before and like the risk that you do take. And when you smack the ground, it's feels horrible. Like, I don't know, example, like Rotorua, I mean, um, cans when I, when I, uh, broke my wrist earlier this year, that's like a full power move, like twistering over that whole first feature. Like, so just, I, I feel like the fact that there's a lot of willingness there to continuously risk and go for that stuff, yeah, that, that feeling is clearly pretty damn good when you when you ride away from these moves. <laughs> yeah, man. Like the, the highs are super high and the lows are super low. Like with that that injury and I mean it's it's just like you're on a knife's edge. It's like an inch or two this way and you're riding away and everyone's pumped. And an inch or two that way you're in you're in the hospital. Yeah, for sure. It's uh riding a fine line with the progression these days, man. Yeah, so so you've had the highs of highs and and now coming off, you know, pretty gnarly crash and a long injury. So what was the mental sort of state like coming back from that injury or knowing like the season's kind of gone? Uh yeah, it, it was different for me coming back from an injury. I've been so thankful for the situations over the years, which I've been hitting the ground so hard and able to kind of get up and like dust off, like, and maybe be a bit sore, but not have serious injuries. Like, um, before this injury was like over, over 10 years since, 
any sort of bone break last happened. No and shit, with, like, really? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's dude. Imagine counting how many times you <coughs> hit the ground in ten years. That's insane. For sure, and like you've seen some of the slams that like you've been live at Cranebrook. Like some of those slams have not been chill. So, <laughs> dude, um, no, I would say nearly like, all of them are not that chill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but that's. Like, I was definitely thankful for that. So I hit the ground. There's a lot of adrenaline pumping through, but I knew something was weird. I was like, what's weird? What's weird? And then I saw my hand pointing in the wrong direction. And then I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, but there's a lot of adrenaline, you know? So I was just like, I just wanted to get off camera. I wanted to chill. And then um, and then they... Uh, they walked me down to the ambulance. They put me on the stretcher. They gave me this green whistle. So the green whistle, I'm not really sure what was in it. Um, but it was like the pain was still there, but like I just didn't care about it anymore. Um, like it, I could still feel it, but suddenly everything was, was fine. I was like, I think um, Tom Eisted and Ben Thompson and Paul Kuderick was were next to the ambulance with me, and I was like, "Boys, like, I just snapped my fucking arm, but like, I don't care." I, I was like saying some some shit like that they were saying to me. Um, but you know, as I was in the in the ambulance and in the hospital, um, I was I was kind of like, "Damn, like this sucks," but it's been a long time. Um, that I've been hitting the ground and walking away fine from it. So, so like, I'll take this, you know? Um, yeah, fair enough. And then, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, it, was, it just, it made it, I, f I feel like that makes it mentally easier for me because I see some of these athletes that have these injuries and they work so hard and put everything into a comeback and then suddenly another injury. And it's like, it's just so unlucky and so unfortunate. Like injuries are, are such a, such a shitty thing i feel like so i was like i was like i'm fine with this um and it took my time yeah like you said it uh it ended my season basically so i was just taking the time um luckily i was still able to uh travel to crankworks innsbruck and to whistler and uh be a reporter for the boys and i feel like mentally that was humongous help because like if if I had a injury on the lower body which had me limited at home, sitting at home on my phone watching how everyone's having a good time in these places, like I would definitely it would it would definitely be a lot more taxing mentally. Where I had a cast on my arm and I wasn't in the competition, but I was still on scene, and I feel like a lot of times like that just helps so much. So, um, yeah, just uh just taking the time, making sure everything is good, kind of trying to educate myself through through the injury because I feel like I'm, I'm so good at crashing, but I'm not necessarily good at being injured. I feel like some guys are specialists in knowing exactly what their body needs to recover and to come back stronger, whereas, like, I know how to hit the ground and get back up, but this was kind of like, oof, like, I got to ask the right questions to the right people and really educate myself to – to like come back from this, you know, and um, healing has gone really well. I did my first riding at Swatch Nines, which was like the perfect event to come back to. No pressure. 
um, very motivating crew of different riders to, to get back into it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a huge delay for me, uh, since competing, you know, last competition in Cairns and then next competition is going to be, I guess, next, uh, season in Rotorua to start the season. And I feel like I've been going for 10 years, every Crankworks and every competition outside of Crankworks that I can do. So it's definitely, uh, going to be some some crazy feelings for me coming back because even even the first riding again at at swatch nines i was just cruising the course but i was in my helmet like yeah, i'm fucking back baby let's go i'm yelling like just just because uh because i've never had that feeling of like coming back from that so i feel i'm i'm super excited for the nerves and the excitement that come with the first the first competitions back you know yeah, but did part of you enjoy being back at the event because it's a, it's a good distraction, right? You're staying busy, but you didn't have to deal with the pressure. Like, did part of you kind of enjoy taking a break from the pressure if you've been flat out for 10 years? I know I would have. Yeah, it was um, – there was an enjoyable aspect to it because, I because yeah, I was like, I was like, I'm here. This is insane. I'm still watching the boys, right? I'm still getting hyped for – for all these runs from the boys like I always do, but I'm, I don't have to drop myself. And it was like definitely a feeling of, of not having that like unpredictable nervous feeling. But like I was telling you earlier, when the competitions were starting, I was still like getting that kind of like nervous excitement. I was like, I was like, are we doing this? I don't know. It was, it was also a crazy feeling for me to experience that, that, competition start was just so ingrained in my memory and so ingrained in my body that I was like, uh, I was like ready to go and, and fired up to go. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was an enjoyable experience. Um, but for sure I would be rather out there competing. So I'll try to keep it rubber side down and, uh, try to stay on the bike for the next competition season, but not sure if that's going to be possible. <laughs> okay so so you've 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 got like a pretty natural sort of skill set and experience to do the presenting and you've got the hype but deep down you're still like super super motivated to get back out there and compete yourself is what i'm hearing well so i respect the fact that um this desire and this motivation isn't going to last forever like we talked about some legends that came before me um and i i saw a lot of riders that uh were competing with so much motivation were competing consistently getting better at riding and then suddenly you know they're like the motivation's not there to compete and you want to do different things in riding whether that's make your own event or uh make videos on youtube or just go into like a, a more a judging role. Like I feel like there's, there's a lot of uh, epic riders that I saw kind of be like, you know what? I'm good with this. I'm done with this competing. Um, and I, I feel like I'm still so motivated to compete and to push the riding and to get more podiums and wins and stuff. Um, that like I need to respect the fact that one day that desire won't be there. So while it's still there and while it's still firing, I got to go after it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, Dave, I think that's awesome. And what do you make of 
some of the sports greats uh, and and super successful in everyone's own right, like bowing out from the sport maybe earlier than some would have guessed. Like, why do you think that happens in Slopestyle specifically? Um, I, I think it um, it's because of what I'm saying. Sometimes you put so much into it, you know, like every risk, like you're willing to take it. And um, I just feel like there's so much emotion and physical output that's put into the event. Um, that at some point you're just like, you're just like, I know how much I need to put into this and I'm not willing to put that much into it. You get what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Like it makes, it makes sense that it's just, it's a tough sport to stay at the stop and to stay motivated and to be willing to good. You gotta be willing to hit the ground hard. That's part of it. Yeah. I mean, you just like learn what it takes to, to put everything into it. Whereas like. Yeah, just the mental and the physical uh, perseverance that it kind of takes to put what needs to be put into slope style. So, yeah, some at, at some point, um, yeah, you're just not willing to, to put what you know needs to be put in there anymore. And then as soon as you don't put what you need to put in there, then it becomes uh, like a very dangerous game. You know, you're, you take these unnecessary risks or um, it's just – it just becomes dangerous game. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about with like pushing yeah, it, with racing as well. Like when you're, when you're not willing to put the work that you need, but then you still want to go hundred percent, like gets gnarly quick. No. Yeah, exactly. Like if you, you, you kind of will start knowing if your heart's not in it and that's where it's a dangerous, like one foot in one foot out the door. And yeah, exactly. Maybe not putting the exact preparation in, but then you're on this big stage there's probably the pressure, like 30,000 people at Joyride or whatever the number is. Adrenaline starts kicking in. Ego takes over as well. Hey, I still want to be up there. But yeah, man, I, I hear you loud and clear. It's no surprise. And I, I think it's natural. Um, and I respect everyone that's willing to go on a different path. Um, and the same in downhill. There's been some super successful riders like Josh Bryceland. I don't know if you know the name. But like yeah. he walked, he walked away. Like he had a, he was like killing it. Then had quite a gnarly, unlucky injury. Came back from that, and kind of maybe figured it wasn't for him. Even though, man, if I had that talent, I would have, I would have gone longer. <laughs> me myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I respect him more, almost for walking away earlier than some would have expected. Um, for so sure. That's sick to hear that you've just got that hype, that motivation, and willing to persevere. And, and I've read a little bit and seen the videos about you speak of your father and your upbringing and stuff. And do you think it's some of that that he's instilled in you? It's like make you who you are and his he, uh, the work ethic and apparently he would like make sure you still did your schoolwork even when he had you at these events back in the day. Like I kind of just like to dig in what make, you know, why you tick yeah, the way yeah. you tick. Yeah, my, my father is uh, definitely a very um... – interesting personality because he comes from um a background of biathlon in russia where biathlon's a gnarly sport it's cross-country skiing then you got to lay down be super composed and um shoot the shoot the targets and if you miss the target you have to you have to go a longer distance it's a very very gnarly sport and he obviously grew up 
doing that in Russia at a high level, which means I cannot even imagine how gnarly the coaching was like. So <laughs> why? Because of how he's a little bit with you back in the day. Just like just like that Russian um, coaching mentality of uh, it's just so different than the culture I grew up with in um, the U.S. Here, the U.S. is all about like uh, you know not not insulting and and like keeping it up, like you know good effort, good try, nice work, and like my father was always like making fun of that. Like, Oh yeah, it's a good try. Good try. You'll lose. You know, like it's just like very different. The mentality of how strict he was, but this is why I say he's different because he was so strict, but he was like taking me out of school to go to Europe to compete. And like you said, like I was, I was in the airplane doing like my schoolwork, the whole airplane, but I was like getting taken out of school in order to like pursue this, um, career in in competition and and like uh i feel like my father because of the russian way was always like he had to be strict he had to be hard he had to uh in almost never say like nice work nice that was awesome like always just identifying the problems and like gotta do this better gotta do this better gotta do you know what i mean um but we were like spending all this time at woodward camp and he was driving me all around the States. So I was like this, this coaching and, and this, like, this discipline is definitely gnarly and definitely tough, but I could obviously see that like my father is doing everything in his power to make me the best rider that I can be. You get what I mean? So it was like, it, it was, it was a tough relationship to have. Yeah. Was it tough at the time? I can see that you appreciate it now. And like, it's, it's helped you get to where you are. Was it tough as a youngster to be like, God damn it, I just want to go for ice cream, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the hardest was um, during like the teenage years, during like those high school years where yeah. I'm like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. Like, you know what I mean? Just like not seeing clearly and then clashing with my father. Um, but then like I, I would clash with him like – gnarly but then he's outside building these immaculate ramps in the yard so then once again i kind of i kind of like fuck like this is making me all upset and angry but like it's obviously like just doing all this to make me like the best rider i can be you know so it was like it was a tough relationship to to have to like justify um, how it's it is helpful, but it, emotionally it was definitely difficult. Um, but I'm also not going to deny that emotionally um, it made me like have that kind of strength um, that's required for competition and for the hardships of of riding. Yeah, but I, I I think that teenage years is when you start thinking you know best a bit. Like that's when I think you only fully I think you fully appreciate your parents when you're young. Then there's these teenage yeah. years where it's a bit iffy. And then like, for me at least, you know, like mid twenties. And then the later I got in my twenties, I was like, holy shit, the stuff they did for me, this is insane. <laughs> but there was this time in our garage, like it just brings back memories. And he, you know, he'd wheeled and dealed and he got us these like factory GTs that were like barely production. And I don't even know where he, how he paid for them. Right. <laughs> and he always said to me, you and your brother have more talent in your little like little finger 
than I have in my whole body. Like, don't waste it. It was never like you didn't have to win. It was just like, don't fuck around, put the effort in. So maybe not the ru- like fully Russian, but definitely put the effort in. And then there was this yeah. one time that he clearly didn't think we were putting the effort in or we're pissing around and came in the garage and he threatened to cut the bikes in half and it was tools getting thrown. It was about the effort, not the results because we were probably being cheeky. Okay. And I had the cheek to be like, I don't know if you want to cut the bike in half because you paid for it. And then the hammer just went straight in the toolbox. Oh, and, no. and it was just like, if I look back, I'm like, it was so cocky. Um, but I appreciate everything he instilled on me, you know. But at the time, you're just like, fuck, you know. For I just sure. want to go dirt I'm, jumping with my mates. Like, I don't want to go training or whatever it is, you know. It's for sure, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you understand, bro. It's, uh, yeah, it's... No, I, I, I definitely, no, I definitely understand. And Danny Hart, like he's spoken about the relationship with his dad and he was also like, did everything for him. And it it was super hard, their relationship. But I think Danny then says, but I wouldn't be where I was without him and the way he was, you know, whether I agreed with all of it or not, they drove us around and they, they sacrificed so much. Like it's, it's an unbelievable, like selflessness, I think. For sure. No, I, I agree. I it was um it was weird because um I feel like there was times where uh that we I would be like at a competition practice and my dad would be like pissing me off and and um just like saying things that like are making me angry and shit and I'm like I'm like I'm gonna, I'm gonna win this and then I'm going to show him. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to him or anything like this. And then like, if any good result happened, he was like the first person that I wanted to be like stoked with, you know, like, Oh shit. Like, you, see? you know what I mean? So it was like, I don't know. It was like those, those feelings, those angry feelings that I had, like never triumphed, like the ones deeper down that, that like showed me that like he was in it for me, obviously. You get what I mean? Yeah, man. Uh, like, I think, I don't know if they were related, but it was like the fallout over the bikes. And then luckily I was too cocky and I reminded him not to cut them in half. <laughs> so we still had bikes. So that was good. But no, I mean, I, I only like am happy with my childhood. I just, these funny times. And I think my 18th birthday, some friends influenced me a little bit too much and uh, had a too many alcoholic beverages. It was like just before one of the big races. And obviously that, you know, that is a no-no if they're putting all this effort in and money to get to these races. So he obviously was having none of that. He was pissed at me. And then, but I think it fueled me because then I won the race by like a record margin back home. And it was kind of like me stirring the pot, you know, I was like, well, I still went out and won, you know, (laughs) it was so bad, actually. Just, you're bringing up all these awesome memories, man. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. Sometimes they, and so, sometimes the yeah. the pops definitely draw that that fire that you need inside of you to to perform crazy. I think it's awesome, man. But so he helped build all your ramps, like, and still now, like, will he help build, like, if you revamp them and stuff? Um, he's out in California now on a house project. Okay. So um, I'm not sure if he will have the time, but I'll definitely like be consulting with him. I mean, he. Uh, he is like a house builder. That that's how he made his um, life and career here in in USA. So he's very savvy when it comes to building. And um, it was very smart in the travels when we were younger, like going to these 
skate parks um, and Woodward and things like this. And just seeing how everything was built. And like, since he had building experience, he would like be able to see this stuff and take notes from it and, and kind of come home and be able to almost duplicate um, those ramps. So, so yeah, he's, he's absolutely a boss of a builder. Some of the stuff that he makes, I, I question how he does it, but he makes it happen. Like the, like I'm saying, like the, the crank back system for the flat drop and step down like that is a weird, sketchy, like system that I have no idea how he decided to make it work, but it it works and it uh it makes that setup extremely versatile. So that that man's a wizard when it comes to some buildings. So hats off to him, bro. He's always leading That's the project, wicked. and then he just kind of tells me what to do. So uh, That's so yeah, I'll I'll be I'll be like, what are you doing? But like, I, I won't ever question that he'll be able to get it done <laughs> dude we um we built a, a jump into the pool um it was like a wood kicker built it whatever i think my dad helped as well great bmx down the side garden down three steps through a narrow gate and into the pool and like it would be like if we we're having friday night barbecue then my dad's friends would come over and he'd be like you guys should pool jump you know it's like we were like his circus animals and we'd be jumping in the pool. And then we said, Dad, can we build one out of dirt? Because we can get like, you know, the transition needs to be better. It's like, it's shit. It's out of wood. Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. He came home. We were wheelbarrowing from the side garden over to the pool area and up this little ramp. And I turfed, and I'm not joking, a full wheelbarrow full of dirt into our pool. It turned. No. <laughs> I swear, dude. It literally turned <laughs> black. And he just has to like understand. I mean, think about that. You come home and your kids, your pool's like literally brown and black. <laughs> oh man, what a nightmare, bro! What was yeah, the reaction dude. to that? So, you guys get complete... <laughs> no, like luckily he would just like it's kids being kids. Like whether it was rugby ball through his windows or cricket balls, like if you, long as you were being kids and you weren't maliciously breaking stuff, he just accepted it somehow. But uh. It turned out we didn't end up having a dirt dirt lip into the pool after that. We went back to wood. Okay, okay, that's a smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the, but it's now like you, you guys had like the yeah? the cam the cam the cam and Tyler McCall pool jump. Have you ever seen the clips of that? Like they had they had a crazy yeah, setup back in the dude, day. They had the yeah. great yeah, not that crazy, a lot okay, smaller, okay. but but yeah, I did I did flip into it and it's into the shallow and I ended up putting a hole in the pool. So yeah, no props to <laughs> props to all the parents out there that are either listening or kids that have parents that are letting them do crazy shit. Say thank you to your parents more than For you sure. more than you more than you think you should. Yeah, and parents and parents keep pushing the little kids even if they're little shits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even if they're little shits, which they probably are. <laughs> especially if they're 16 <laughs> for sure oh my goodness but so you were born in america i i presume yeah but but your dad's yeah. russian descent what like uh, well how old is he when he moved over um i think he was around 25 years old so um yeah i was born in the u.s uh both my mom and dad um Born and raised in Russia in St. Petersburg and then moved over to the U.S. Both on different fake marriages. 
different because Russia was fake, because Russia yeah. Russia was really hard to get out of. So, um, like my my pops got out of Russia on fake marriage and went to Costa Rica, and then my mom got out also on a different fake marriage um, into the U.S. and then eventually. Um, through family, friends, and stuff, they met in the the states and started a life there. But Russia was just really gnarly at the time, and they just both saw more opportunity outside of Russia, so they just decided to get out of there. And then eventually, we settled down here in in Boston, and I've I was born and raised in the suburbs of Boston. So yeah. And have you been back over the years as a youngster? Have they yeah. gone back, or be, because of how they left, it's not a good idea? Um, no, they've been back. They, they've yeah. they've been back a bunch of times. Um, I have visited Russia, I think five times. Um, I had a couple competitions over there in Moscow when I was uh, a young BMX kid, probably like age thirteen, fourteen. You can probably find the clips on YouTube. Um, of visorless me just twirling around on BMX bikes somewhere in Moscow. Um, and then uh, I visited St. Petersburg a couple times to go um, see my grandma's house and everything over there and see other family and, and all of that. And then uh, we filmed a video with Martin Soderstrom and specialized in Sochi where they had the Olympics. Um, so yeah, I've been to Russia a bunch of times. It's a very different place. Not sure if I could live there, but it's it's a wild what, place. What Russia? Russia in general for you? What Russia for you now? Yeah, yeah Russia. Being Russia born in, in America. But there's some incredible places, yeah, yeah. right? Like I had a friend that went over there, and I I, oh, I think it's like like a lot of places. If you haven't been, you don't don't understand. You stand, you're just seeing stuff on the media, or you're. Yeah, getting getting a different side to the story until you go there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's different for sure. The architecture is incredible. Um, yeah, I get... Culture is very different. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's tough to go now, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't mean to be insensitive to everything <laughs> that's going on now for, for everyone around that area yeah fuck dude that's we 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 live a very privileged life we're not not having to deal with that stuff for sure for sure for sure so so um changing it up a little bit uh we text a little bit after your rampage commentary you've done rampage you've got some famous clips which you have spoken about which is one of the crashes where you didn't get that hurt right the crazy rampage crash yeah exactly yeah so like you've dipped your toe pretty deep in the rampage pool as a rider. Uh, mm-hmm. What's it like going back and, and, and being involved in the commentary, being on site? Um, what, what are those emotions like? Because uh, I haven't been on site. Um, I think I'm almost half too scared to see some of that stuff in person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Rampage is definitely a very unique event. When I was there, the event was different than it is now. When I was there, it was literally part of FMB World Tour. So I was not ready for Rampage at all. <laughs> but um, I got invites because I was riding District Ride, Joyride, 
other crank works. And so I had the points to be in and it was a diamond level event. So, um, I was like, of course I go to rampage. And then, uh, uh, my dad was always on my dig team. He's, uh, he's just an absolute workhorse out there in the desert. Um, there's some funny stories of him out there in the desert, just absolutely being a beast, carrying water up and down the mountain and stuff like that. Um, just like carrying the the big buckets of water up and down the mountain shirt off, like absolutely acting like it's no big deal. Um, just beasting his way around. Uh, did he do like three times the work as any other digger? Just be like, these guys, they don't know work. Yeah. Like bro. Uh, it would be like me, me and Reed and Ethan Nell were on dig team actually. Um, before Ethan and Reed started to get involved in Rampage themselves, Nick Hilton was also involved in that um, dig crew, uh, another smoke style rider. Um, but it would be like Reed and I would go down to the bottom of the mountain and take like a 45 minute round trip. And like both bring back one thing of water. And then Vlad would go 10 minute round trip with two of them himself. Absolutely insulting Reed and I on the way relentlessly. <laughs> We're just like, we can't all be as much of a beast as you. No. So, okay. We're talking about Rampage here, right? Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we built the, the line and then I had that egregious... Uh, crash where too much front brake off the cliff all of that luckily i was unhurt my bike was completely fine miraculously i scraped up my face because i was trying to like grab some bushes before falling off the cliff and they would just fall away and then i would grind my face on the cliff and i had taken my goggles off my face that day because uh, the light was all blown out and i couldn't see anything with goggles um, but yeah, I was kind of unhurt from that crash. I think if I had been severely hurt in that crash, all my emotions about Rampage and going back to that scene would be very different, obviously. Because like, I feel like the brain like connects with events like that differently. Whereas I go back and I'm like, wow, that was an incredibly crazy moment. But I'm, I don't have like PTSD or scarring from it. I'm kind of like, whoa, like, I'm just thankful that I was fine from that, you know? Um, but Rampage, I feel like, is very different now than it was back then. All the riders are much more prepared. All the riders have these beast dig teams that just do such impressive work all over the mountain. Um, so for me, going there and being involved in the in the media and everything was uh, was an amazing experience. I mean... Uh, that media team like Salema and Cam and the other uh, the other guys involved in that broadcast, like they make my job super easy. So that was super easy on that front. But it was it was just really cool to to be able to react to those runs live on on TV next to Cam, like super sick experience and. I would like to go ride that event as well, but um, I'm not exactly sure when. So would be stoked on doing the whole media experience again as well. So what's it like working with Salema? Like he's quite a great in the the world of presenting, you know, for action sports. He is 
way too good. Like the voice yeah, what, is so what makes iconic. Him so good. He kind of like runs because the I, I feel like just the iconic voice always has the right things to say, but also like he just kind of runs the show. You know what I mean? They're always in our ear, as you know, with uh, with the commentary. Like there's people in your ear, so you gotta. You gotta like basically act like you're not hearing that and make the show flow how they want you to make it flow. And Salem is just an absolute pro at that, especially when it comes to Rampage. Beside that, I was like, this guy is just way too good at what he does. Um, so yeah, he's he's uh, he's a great in in that field for a reason, for sure. Yeah, no, it's really cool to see, I guess, for lack of a better term, mainstream Rampages Guard and, and freeride mountain biking um, with some of those famous uh, basketball players. I forget his name, but you went riding with him. That was pretty cool. Yeah, Reggie Miller. Yes. Yeah, Reggie uh, yeah Miller. I don't follow it as big as some of you guys would, um, you know, if you're from the States. Uh, but, I mean, he's a legend of that. And he's, he's so knowledgeable about Rampage to see it cross over and, and you get to have a little day riding with it. Yeah, it was uh, insane with Reggie. So Reggie is actually a big fan of like mountain bike in general. Um, and over the years, I've had some crazy interactions with him. So um, he was like following and commenting on um, some posts over the years. And there was one time that I saw him saw that he was uh, on Instagram. I saw that he was in Boston for, uh, for commentating a game. So I hit him up with a message. I'm like, yo, dude, do you have your bike with you? Like, let's go for a shred. Um, if you have time. And he's like, no, I don't have my bike with me, but like, here's tickets to the game. Um, and so he got me the tickets to that, that first game when he was in town in Boston. And then, uh, someone from his media team came to um, my seats. My girl and I were at the seats, and they brought us down courtside. He brought me on the court. He was meeting up with me. He was the most humble, down-to-earth guy. He's like the biggest legend, and he was like telling his his coworkers, like, no, man, this guy right here, this guy's like Superman. And I was like, holy shit, man, what is going on? <laughs> um, and then again this year, when uh, when I had my injury, he was announcing a playoff game in Boston, and he actually reached out himself like a like a like I was like I couldn't believe this message. I was getting these messages on my phone from Reggie, and I was like, no fucking way, dude. Um, and he reached out again, saying like, "Yo, sorry to hear the injury. Would it make you feel better to come to the game?" And I'm like, "No way." And then he's like uh, texting me from from courtside as he's announcing the game, like stand up. And then we're like talking across the arena, and uh, he's just like a fan of the sport. So when the rampage thing came up, the the like video piece for rampage, and I got to go out to California and and ride his little riding loop, bro. That was like uh, just absolutely unreal. I was like, there's no way this is happening. Like Salema. Reggie Mill and me just riding some enduro trails here. Um, so it's really cool to see legends like that so interested in mountain biking and also such big fans of 
of uh, of slope style and like you were saying, so knowledgeable about Rampage, like a real deal fan. So, man, I was so stoked on that. It's it's crazy, hey. Like there was a time Pastrana was at um, Whistler, and he was just riding with some of the the downhillers, and then someone would, would gap some root section. And then he would stop and, and then say to other people, oh my gosh, you got, should have seen how crazy this line was. This dude's crazy. And we're all just standing there looking like dumbfounded that Pastrana is calling a root gap crazy. But, you know, for him, that yeah. skill set, you know, he hadn't developed it. And it's so funny when you put these people on a pedestal, but like they've put you on a pedestal. Like you're the crazy yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. You're the Superman guy on a bike. You're like, no, dude, you're Reggie Miller. You're... You, Salema, like you know, you guys are these icons. It's like real pinch me moments, eh? You full, yeah, exactly. That's the terminology I was looking for. The pinch me moments, like, is this real life or yeah, yeah? And uh, so, did you come up with the idea, or is Reggie Miller connected through Salema or someone else already to to the production, like that that he was going to be involved? So I guess. Uh he wanted to be on the Red Bull Rampage broadcast and they were trying to coordinate um, possibilities for him to be on the broadcast. But then uh, he had to actually announce some NBA games during Rampage. So it ended up being, Oh, like he, was gonna, he, he was going to like be, uh, he wanted know, to be on the broadcast and like, yeah, yeah. He could have been like a guest guest for a bit on it. For sure. Yeah. Some, something like that. Um, I mean, he's been a, a professional broadcaster for the NBA for like, I don't know, eight, 18 years, I think he said, 20 years. I don't know. Um, so so he's like fully pro in that sense. Um, but they couldn't do it because uh, he had to announce an NBA game the same dates as Rampage. So then this uh, video idea came about where we would just like go on a cruise and kind of have a conversation with him. So, uh, yeah, unbelievable, bro. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy the opportunities two wheels can give you. Yeah, yeah. He was saying he, feel, he feels like the same fuel um, like for mountain biking and for racing as he had like with basketball with like that, that pain cave and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So crazy to see like a guy like Reggie so passionate about, about biking and about racing and stuff and uh, – Hopefully the sport just keeps growing, man. I think it will. Yeah, no, definitely. You guys did a killer job. What What would you say you learned, like in the booth, and like to give listeners an insight into commentary? You spoke about a producer is often telling you stuff in your earphones. Obviously, no one can hear that, but you've got to be aware of what that is, not lose what you're talking about, and then decide how to bring that in. Or you're going to commercial. Like it's it's a lot more complicated than people think and. I think everyone's pretty easy to bash commentary, but they don't really understand how difficult a job it is. Yeah, it's you're so right about uh, it seeming easier than it is. Like and that's why people like to bash it a lot because I feel like there's so much more that goes into it than you could ever think. Starting from like the preparation, like you can't just show up on competition day and go in the booth. You have to, you have to like be there on-site following the stories behind the event like you have to be so prepared before even the event starts and then 
yeah, running the show with people in your ear. Um, you just have to like make it so effortlessly smooth. Um, which is why for me to see someone like Salema working is like, he makes it look like easy clockwork because he's so experienced with it. So just like gaining that experience with all the different elements that go into broadcasting is, is definitely a quite a learning experience for me. And, um, and yeah, stoked to learn more, you know, I, I feel like I'm in an easy role right now. You know, they, they throw it to this camp, sets it up, they all set it up and then I just kind of have to announce the action and I'm ready as ever to announce the action. I'm fired up to announce it, but those hosting roles and stuff, that's when it really gets, uh, gets uh like artist work to you know really run the show definitely definitely yeah they they say they're kind of like throwing up softballs if i'm in an analyst role it definitely is technically an easier role hosting is especially with and rampage you guys have like a lot of dead air and that's where salema like that professionalism experience is so helpful to you guys because he's helping fill the dead air um, for sure. So you guys had a really cool team team with that, but it was yeah we were stoked. Um, you got some good hype online as well as you <laughs> should because you know I guess we wanted we want to know your opinion, uh, but it's cool that you're like getting hyped because you are hyped, and that's exciting as well. Like people people love that you know. Man, I can't help it with getting hyped. Like I don't know if I hope people don't think it's like. Uh over exaggerate or whatever but i'm like i'm like in the booth i'm sweating i'm shaking sometimes depending on like i'm getting nervous those stomach feelings for for the boys <laughs> and um and yeah like i i just i just can't help it i know especially with something like rampage i just know how much every single one of those runs means to every single one of those riders so like i just have i just can't help it i get hyped up i get fired up i get emotional everything bro and um, do you have any shit days? Like, do what you, do you have down days? I don't know. Do you ever have like negative days or shit days? Like, where you're not hyped? Um, <laughs> you're like, what do you mean? Do people have bad in, days. That's an interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I definitely have. I definitely have my moments. Like, for it to encompass a whole day. Um, that has to take a lot of shit moments, but obviously there's <laughs> yeah. moments in there where you get like pissed off or you're over it or yeah. But, um, but thankfully I'm, I'm uh, pretty blessed with the, the life that I get to live, you know? So every day is either encompassed by like training on the bike, traveling, filming something or off days you know so I, I feel like uh if i ever have a really off day i gotta really take a step back and and think about all those uh all those moments that i wanted to like have this as my life of just riding and competing for world titles and, and just be like gotta keep doing that gotta keep pushing yeah for sure hey you dabbled in a downhill race didn't you oh man Talk to me. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. I I was not prepared for this. So I went up to <laughs> I went up to the US Open because US, US Open is at Killington. Um, which is like three hours from me. Uh Killington's super sick mountain, honestly. 
Um, and I went up there with just like a, a jumpy downhill bike, the same downhill bike I rode at Dark Fest. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to go check out Same stiff suspension. This- yes, bro. <laughs> you should have phoned me. You bro. should have texted me, man. I could have helped you there. Bro, so <laughs> I get there because I just wanted to ride Whip Off. And I was like, maybe I'll like check out the DH course. And then um, they were like, we need to put a number plate on you if you are going to ride the DH course, like for GoPro clips, for anything. And then I'm like, mm, like if I'm going to be GoPro on this course, I'm going to have a number plate on, like I might as well just go all in, do qualifying, do the race, everything. Um, so then that's what I did. I didn't get any practice the day before the race, only race day uh, or qualifying day. I woke up, got the number plate on, went up for practice. I was with, uh, I was with David Lieb, um, who's like done some racing in his time, but he's also mostly a slope style guy. Um, and yes, like you said, my bike has dark fest suspension on it. Fully stiff with like a absurd coil in the back. Um, so stiff in the front. My first practice lap, I had 40 PSI. Um, and then I was like bouncing around the course like a madman. Uh, like couldn't barely handle it. And like the laps were taking ages. So I was getting super tired on these laps as well. Like a top to bottom was killer. Um, and yeah, like I guess that course is pretty physically demanding from the, what the racers were saying, that U.S. Open course. Like it's it's not the steepest course. So you like it's really hard to keep momentum you know um and then david lieb and i ended up setting up this bet where going off qualifying times then we would set up a wager and then i would have to like uh beat him by like or i would have to lose to him but only by like a certain amount of seconds and then i even lost that but bro i was like suffering out there struggling trying to find the lines um yeah it was it was a big struggle bro what do you think you saw the gopro (laughs) clips what do you think bro no i didn't i i don't judge i think it's cool that you go and check it out but it's are you i mean it sounds like you might have okay you didn't have the setup but what what about watching the big boys ride uh like do you have a newfound respect now that you've like been on the same course and then you see their time you're like okay these guys are hooking (laughs) <laughs> um but i've always had such respect for the dh racers and the thing that even inspired me to even think about this was i was in um leger this year at the world cup i was doing some social media work with whoop um whoop is like sponsoring the world tour for the first time yeah, this yeah, year I saw and they that. have That's the sick. live yeah. broadcast whoop is a boston-based company uh amazing product um, so I was stoked to, to be with them at their first ever mountain bike event at the World Cup in Leger. Um, and then that race ended up being absolutely insane. Like we had a, we had a French champion for the woman, uh, with a sick race for the woman. And then 
Um, Benoit wins it as the last rider down for the men. And then there's a full-on riot and everyone's shooting fireworks and smoke bombs. Um, and it was just like one of the most electrifying finishes I've ever seen at any sporting event. And I'm like a big yes. sports fan, like B- Boston, especially the city where I live here. It's very heavily fueled on our, all their sports teams. So I can really appreciate like a good sports atmosphere patriotic atmosphere so then when i was there like in amidst this leger riot i was like this sport has just created this electrifying atmosphere that i cannot even believe like this is so amazing um so i was like i want to learn more about the sport i want to learn more about what makes everyone the best of the best like uh all about the line choice all about the strategies going into the race so then i was like with us open um, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to dive in and try to learn hands-on, you know? Um, and it was funny just like sitting on the chairlift, studying these GoPro clips, like, fuck, why don't I go down there? Like, I got to stay up. And then next lap, like you can hear yourself talking, like, stay up, stay up. I, I don't know, just a very different challenge for me. And, and I was slow and shitty and had the wrong setup and everything, but that like learning experience, um, was just awesome because yeah like i respect that sport so much and and it's just cool to learn like uh what goes into it and be able to experience that so yeah hopefully i do some more of that i don't know it's tough that's sick (laughs) i uh i think we should we should pitch a video i'll come dh coach you and we get you we get you in a race dude with the bike set up the lines i'll ride with you we'll get you we'll get you up to pace bro i need that I need to try riding Clipton. I've never even attempted to Did ride you ride Clipton? I missed no. that. You rode Clipton? No, no, no. Oh, no, you no, want to no. ride Clipton? No, I'm saying I think it's a it's a decent idea to at least try. <laughs> I, dude, we've got to uh, we've <laughs> got to do this. We're going to pitch a video. We'll Hell take yeah. that offline and we get you Clipton as well for the first time ever. You don't have yeah, to. I mean, okay. this is a a topic I do think if you can get comfortable, I factually have seen that it's faster minus your Sam Hill and a few riders, but there's some, uh, the late Stevie Smith moved to clips, won a title. Josh Bryson moved to clips, won a title. I mean, it's just the proofs in the pudding mostly with the way the courses have gone. So we want to, we want to get you down the hill as fast as humanly possible. You might have to sacrifice and learn (laughs) clips. You know, there's a few things I can, I can expedite your training. I don't know if I want to get coached by you because then I got to go upside down again or do something weird. So it'll Bro, just be like a one. It'll be like easy. a one-way thing. No, it's a one-way into an airbag, okay. maybe. Okay, I'm okay. old now, man. We'll we'll do some riding at Darkfest, and maybe we'll yeah. sneak off to the to the DH track. But uh, dude, that Leger event, like I try put it in my calendar because I was there for Wolves and Loic won, and there was top. The first three were French, and I was like, this is. You can't beat this. You actually can't yeah. beat this. And I hate to say it, the story of Benoit winning there, I've, and the, like the cops thinking they were going to stop the riot, like yeah. that to me was an even better story. Like the the, the eight <laughs> cops like thought they were going to keep the crowd back. No chance, bro. That place was pandemonium. Insane, hey. And like the, the, the chainsaws, like, I think they're cool, but they're almost a bit much. They don't stop. Yeah, they're relentless with that over there. But long live Chainsaw, bro. 
<laughs> true long live chainsaw yeah no disrespect so yeah true true story dude so you doing you doing these other events like the backyard battles and stuff you i you at the latest one you've been enjoying yeah. doing these more jam format events like maybe less pressure more just like ride and do the tricks you want to do in your own time man it's crazy to see the the level ramp up at the jam events because that lack of pressure, um, I don't know if it's necessarily the lack of pressure or like that atmosphere of incredible riders having a session together, but like I was just at the backyard battle in in Spain at Adolf's backyard, um, and we had a, some bad weather conditions there, a lot of wind, some rain, but as soon as like the wind subsided and everyone got riding, the level like went up fast and it was like there's nothing on the line there's no competition on the line there's there's no need for anyone to take risks but everyone is riding like top notch doing trains back to back like with amazing riding just it really impressed me how um at a like a non-competition non-show setting kind of dark fest vibe where like the riding just keeps getting pushed and everyone is just like, they don't, they're not doing it for any reason rather than just to, to ride to the best of their abilities. And it's amazing to see. What do you think? I I think it is a little bit the less pressure for sure, but it's, it's just witnessing you guys at, at dark fest and being involved a bit like the, the energy is infectious and it's like you being stoked for your riders at Slopestyle, like they're, there is no like winner in a sense. So everyone's just stoked. And then like the energy rises and you're like, Oh, he landed the trick. He's been working on. Maybe I should go for that trick that I've been working on, you know, in a simple way. I just see the energy rise, the energy ride and the hype. And like, it's an environment that breeds that sort of riding. Yeah, totally. It's, it's like that. It's almost like a, a jealous motivation in a good way, you know? Yeah, well, like, there's ego. Like if, uh, then yeah, yeah. there's ego involved. Then I guess if if you mention that word, right? For sure. Yeah, the the ego comes into play. Like, oh, he flips that, I flip it too easy, or like he flips yeah, that, I yeah. do this, and it's just um, it's really cool to see. It's like a, it's almost like a, it is jealousy and it, it, there is ego into it, but it's it's like that healthy competition. You know, it's like, um they're not doing it to like put each other down. They're, they're just like elevating each other's riding with this back and forth energy with, with some of these riders. You get what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, it the ego drives progression in, in a sense, like why else? Like there is a certain of competitiveness and, and wanting to do better and wanting to be better than other people. Like that's sports in a nutshell, whether sure. it's a jam format and a judge format, downhill racing like there's there's ego involved in everything um and the ego is the enemy the ego is something you use as fuel and it gets you to the top of the mountain but you know left unchecked it can bring you down like you said earlier if you're maybe not in it for the right reasons or not putting the preparation in but you think you can still compete that's the danger side right yeah exactly honestly bro 
so how yeah so that that is a challenge right for like dark fest so you write dark fest right yeah and 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 what point do you check yourself and be like okay maybe that's not totally my event versus a slope style like how do you not get caught up in the hype of these of these events uh with dark fest and slope style it's it's like different but similar in a sense because you're still risking and you're still pushing yourself but in a different sense um like we we do some big moves at dark fest but they're not as technical they're they're risky moves you know big jump big consequences but probably will be fine you go for it whereas i feel like with slope style it's um pushing the tricks you know like you're not necessarily scared of the feature when you're going at it but you're scared of what you're going to do on the feature whereas something like dark fest like you're scared of the feature like this year at at dark fest i um i went for the 110 and um and i did one speed check and i looked at the jump and i was like i can't do another speed check because then I'll just do a million speed checks because this run, this jump looks so insane. And so there's so many risks involved in this jump that if I don't go up and do it right now, then my mind will never be okay with the risks. You know what I mean? You, there's like the, yeah, I don't know. If, I, I don't understand know if you, that fully. Like you, you get what I'm saying, right? There, there comes to a point where you like overthink it too much and you're like, nope, nope, I can't, I can't. And then sometimes if you, even when you say you can't, you push through, that's when like you make some big mistakes. So the reason why I'm saying that is I was like, I was so determined to hit this jump, this 110. And I go up, don't want to follow anyone because of the slipstream and everything. So I go up, I hit this line, hit that big step down going into it. And I case the step down. And then I was like, so determined that I was like, I don't care. I go for it. And then I go off the 110 and I thought I was going to eat the back of the landing. Um, and I like barely greased the top, like barely made it. And then I got down, I, I did the rest of the, I did the rest of the lap. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm done for the day because it was like, it was like that feeling of, of, of having to do that jump right there made me make like a very dumb decision to hit that jump, even with the case on the step down before. Yeah. Cause of your, like your level of commitment at the top, just, you're like, yeah. I'm, I have to do it this one. Crazy. Yeah. Yes, so I feel like that's pretty rare in slope style. Where because you're not scared of the feature, like if you if you get the setup jump wrong for your trick, you're like, okay, next lap. You know what I mean? You have to like get the setup right. But at an event like Darkfest where there's so much risk involved, like sometimes you kind of like turn your brain off or like put persevere, like push through moments where you shouldn't. So yeah, the the, the pushing like is is different in, in those two environments. That's super interesting. So, you know, normally if you case a setup, you're like, damn, like pull out, right? 
but you're at the point like you're like I can't do another speed like I can't not do it now because then I'm gonna overthink it so you just like fully push through something that like you said it was actually stupid like of course you don't want to you, you can't case the setup jump in a 110 jump but you just you just like forced yourself to muscle through and it could have ended way worse instead of like technically going up there and and doing it the next run but you were just worried you're gonna now like overthink it yeah it was like it was like for a split second I, it was like my brain was like i'd rather case the jump than pull out of it even though pulling off guarantees your safety and casing it is almost a hundred percent chance to not be okay so it's crazy how with mountain bike and with environments like that um you like convince yourself to do some crazy shit <laughs> yeah well yeah man but I, I do agree with like not thinking and and, and subconsciously like letting your skill set you know, figure it out. Like that, that is better than overthinking it. You, you might've just gone to the extremist of the extreme with that one. Did you ask anyone like speed check or like, okay, so what if I hit the step down good, it's no breaks. Like, did you, cause you said you didn't want to follow anyone. So did you just watch people or did you ask someone at the top? Like what's, what yeah. speed you need to hit it? No. So I stood beside the, I stood beside the run in and watched like, I think I watched Reynolds and Daryl Brown hit it. And I just looked exactly, I was studying what they did in the run-in. Like position-wise, like body position. Because, you know, with, with speeds at that high level, it's it's not just like, oh, go. It's like the difference between a speed tuck like this and, a, and standing up like this might be like the difference between a crash and a successful jump. So I was just like standing beside the jump and I was like watching and I was like looking exactly what they did in the run-in. And then I saw like, I saw like pretty big speed talk. Like I, I said, like, I don't know, 90% speed talk, I think is what is the determined. So I just went up with that and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to land this step down and I'll do 90%. Um, and then after I cased, I obviously did 100, but it was still almost not enough. I love that. It's <laughs> like a perf perfect step down, 90% tuck should be good. Right, I'll case it, and then hopefully, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're obviously laughing at yourself right now. But uh, I remember that case, actually. It's all coming back to me. That jump's disgusting to watch. Like, yeah, I did. Yeah, anyway, good for you guys. I'm glad you ticked that off. Um, that is a, a monster. Are you coming back this year? Yeah, for sure. Sick. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I certainly will be spectating the 110, I rate. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're just talking about the ego. I have to keep it in check. But uh, no, the weeks, it's such <laughs> a cool vibe. And the top to bottom of that place is it's hard to describe that feeling. Like, it's just quite a surreal course you know like how big it is yeah. but then how much it flows when you do it top to bottom yeah it's like when you get to the bottom it's like that feeling of disbelief you're like that was yeah. so gnarly but that was actually so good how is that possible <laughs> but like on i don't know other jumps like you say slope style like you're not scared of the features and stuff um and then other courses like once you've done them once it's like okay i'll just do them again and, and if you do bigger tricks obviously it's scary but like, 
I've done it a few years now. And I don't know if other people feel like that, but into the rocket launches, I've done it like 10 times that day. And then the 11th time, I'm like, well, I kind of hope this goes well this time because this jump's huge. And then it goes touch wood, like semi-decent. But yeah, yeah. it's just so, I don't know. You just It's very hard to get comfortable, comfortable, I guess, on those, well, for me at least, on those jumps. Yeah, I mean, some of the guys are, are almost riding them with their eyes closed and flipping everywhere and stuff. It's, so it's ridiculous to yeah. see the, the skill level that that comes out on on courses like that from guys like, Cade and Sam and yeah, just insane. The comfort level that gets reached. Yeah. So insane. So what, what does the next year and and next couple of years look like for you? Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think you still want to accomplish in your career and and, and maybe be known for? Hmm. Um, I'm very motivated to, uh, just keep pushing my riding and um, and keep pushing uh, slope style tricks and runs and everything. Um, the thing that I'm still most passionate in riding is like creating the most insane uh, slope style run. I feel like I just feel like there is almost no level of like hype and entertainment like a insane slope style run when the top guys are battling like the top to bottom bangers on everything and like an unexpected banger in there or at the end like i think the level of hype that that provides for the person doing it and also the people spectating is like unparalleled um and um yeah people since i've been injured they've just been saying that they uh that they miss the energy and the hype that I bring. And um, that's just something that I uh, cannot help but to to bring. So as if people are stoked on that, then I'm going to try to keep bringing my energy and my hype as long as I can. But there's a lot of tricks that I still have uh, battles with and that I want to do in runs, like the double front flip. We A few of us tried it last year. We couldn't get it done. It's such like a trick that would be so insane to get in a run. The double backflip 360. I've been doing it at shows for for years, um, and haven't been able to perfect it enough to do it at a competition. So there's like these rotational maneuvers that um, I would still like to put into a competition run. Like 1440, I've put into district ride runs, but that's at the end of the run after the elevator trip. You know, so it's a it's different to like put it in the actual run. So what I'm saying is I basically, I'm going to continue riding shows like shows like masses of dirt, because that puts me in an environment that I can do those big tricks all the time. And then I'm going to keep riding as many crank works events and as many gold events as possible. Um, and I'm really motivated by that younger generation of slope style riders, North America, Canada, and Europe some real real beasts coming up um and i would love to to be there on scene um riding with those young bucks as they make their names known in this sport because that's very motivating as well um and yeah i would love i'd love to also do more free ride stuff stuff like dark fest and events like that are incredible and cool to be a part of 
Um, and that would lead me towards uh, potentially being ready to do another Rampage one day. Um, yeah, another Rampage? You think like work on the big bike stuff, like that's still something that you like the challenge of and like, for sh- like sort for of sure, rounding yeah. out your skill set? For sure, for sure. Sick. I mean, uh, I do Proving Grounds every year and that's that's kind of Rampage style. That's kind of more big slope style, but has some Rampage elements. Tommy G, Thomas Janon, he gives me so much shit every year at Rampage. He's like, Nikolai, I cannot believe that you do not ride here with us. And I'm like, Tommy G, bro, like, what do you mean? He's like, I cannot believe. Like, he just like gives me so much shit. I saying that he's, he's just like saying he's in disbelief about how I'm not out there riding Rampage with them. Um, so um, I would love to at least like give an opportunity uh, or uh, to t- take another opportunity uh, to put the time in necessary for Rampage, get comfortable in that Utah zone, do some big drops out there with Reed Boggs. He's always building some crazy big step downs and drops out there. So um, yeah, that's a bit of my motivation. And then um, yeah, I, I love the media stuff as we talked about very early very early on i love the media stuff it uh it gets me super fired up kind of just like riding does um a lot of uh devoted mountain bike fans uh come to me saying that they they really enjoy the insights that i have to bring and and that's a very 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 rewarding to to hear those those things as as i'm sure you know because you hear the same um so yeah just uh just kind of trying to do everything I just described and uh dude and yeah I can't I can't <laughs> wait to see it man I can't wait to see the hype see the tricks uh maybe some that I don't even understand like a double backflip 360 when does the 360 rotation does it just happen while all the flips are happening is like when does it happen I'm kind of a bit lost trying to understand that so it's it's happened earlier and earlier over the years. So it's when I first tried that trick okay. a few years ago, I tried to do the 360 in the very end of the rotation. So it would it would look like it would look like single backflip and then in the middle of the second backflip I would start this spin. Yeah. But there was like the rotation was dying at that point, you know? Like at the end of the rotation, it would be dying. So then I realized like, shit, if I start this earlier, then it'll be, then it'll be easier. And then I found this perfect point where it's like I do half of a backflip, then the 360 happens. It looks like cork seven. And then I go into another half backflip. And I found that was the perfect place for the rotation. But, I, but it's so hard to be patient enough. Because right now, okay. the lately, um, the last times I was doing it, I just ripped the double backflip as hard as I can. And then I just ripped the rotation right off the start. Um, and I try to be patient, but it's hard. Like It's hard for your mind to wait for the spin because it wants to get the spin done so bad. But the spin, So the spin ideally works exactly in the middle of the rotation, but I think it almost has to happen in the beginning at this point so bro that's what i'm saying is uh, these tricks are yeah they take time to figure out and they each have their own story yes. like they kind of change and stuff so 
so yeah, like I said, I'm going to try to keep figuring it out and make it competition ready. Yeah, so it's super big trial and error. So you're hoping to then come out of a backflip, like an actual backflip rotation into the landing. So you're not kind of coming sideways. You're just hopefully coming in. Do I understand yeah, that it, correctly? If done correctly in your mind, exactly. the last half is just like coming out of a normal backflip and riding yeah, away they, straight. So the the trick, if it works perfectly, it feels almost too easy because you pull as hard as you can for the double backflip and then you're so in the double backflip that like extending and spinning your body like doesn't hinder the rotation at all. So you just like kind of open up, get the rotation done and then go back into your double backflip and you can come out of the backflip pin. You can come out of the trick pinpoint straight as if you never spun in the first place. It's a very just, crazy. I'll just feeling. trust you with that. I'll just trust you with that. It's like you know, um, <laughs> you, you, know that, you know, you know, like you know, like aerial skiing, like when the the when they do like yeah, they're um, like boom, 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 and then they just boom. yes, it's it's yeah. It's I think an you need to show me a clip, but I, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh, mate, I cannot wait. So, what do you want to be known for, like? say like 10 years time and maybe you're sipping some vodka on your porch maybe not riding anymore like for the bangers the hype winning a triple crown like what do you what do you want to be known for in the sport hmm that's um that's honestly difficult to say i'm i'm pretty stoked um on how, how people perceive me now, they consistently are saying that they love the energy that I bring and they love the hype that I bring. And like I said, that's that's just me being me. So that's obviously awesome to hear. Um, I think it, it would have to be like uh, what I would like to be known for is like a mix of like always – always putting on a show and always bringing others the energy that they need to also put on a show. You feel me? Yeah. Because yeah, I love no, that. I, um, I, I hear you. I love that. Uh, I love the, those moments when all their eyes are on you. They're like, I can't wait to see what he does. And then you go out there and you still make them say like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like when, when people are expecting something insane and they still are like, damn, that was insane. Um, like that's the, the, that's what I want to like bring to the viewer. But also I feel like there's so many amazing riders and talents in this sport, um, that need a, uh, a, a bit of boost in certain ways sometimes that if I can be there with some, the hype and the energy that, uh, that those riders, need to to perform the way they want i think that would uh that would also make the sport better in all ways you know so so yeah i feel like this sport is individual but the less individual you try to make it the the sicker experience that end up being you feel me dude i feel you man that was that was <laughs> epic to hear you communicate like that like i agree man Let's, let's grow the pie together. Um, I love it. I think people can learn a lot from you away from riding and riding. Like, why not be stoked for other people? Like, it's just a better place to be in the world, you know? Let's uplift everyone. Uh, bro, that was 
Dude, I'm hyped. I was hyped on that conversation. <laughs> hyped to have you on, dude. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for making the time, man. Dude, thank you for having me. Um, I think we had a, a long talk, a conversation about a lot of different things. So uh, good to talk to you in depth about this type of stuff. And uh, you better not forget about that race training, bro. I need it. <laughs> dude, I, I, <laughs> we've got to make it happen. I, I'm all for it. Let's let's do it. If you want to sneak away from Darkfist, we can do that. But uh, I think there's a project out there. I, I really think there is. I think it'll be sick. I'll, I'll think about it. We'll go offline with it. Uh, all the listeners, dude, thanks so much for all your love and support. Go hit up Nikolai. Give him some hype for what he brings to the sport and brings to the fan base. We are on YouTube. So if you prefer watching it, seeing some of our expressions because the hype man was there. Given it is all, uh, even on a on a podcast, moving the needle podcast, <laughs> go share some stoked, and then uh, yeah, dude, the best thing you can do is share it with a friend. And uh, thanks to Nikolai, bro. Thanks so much. Cheers, man. That was rad. Talk soon. See you at yeah. Darkfest. <laughs> yeah. Till the next one. Peace. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously. I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle, that's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well.